she's at a dinner party in her home with some uh, acquaintances. And after dinner, they just were having a wonderful time. And it was her and her husband and, and two young couples. And uh, after dinner, her husband had to go leave for some kind of business. And her, uh, these two young couples, when she went in the kitchen and was putting stuff away, she came back out. And they said, we want to we show you something that we learned at a dinner party the other night. And it's just the craziest thing you're ever going to see. And she goes, okay, well, what is it? And so she said, they said, just, you just step back here and watch. And so they have a, these people live in Dublin. They have really nice big, big dinner tables, you know, like kind of 12 people. And there was only six of them there. And uh, so two of them were on, uh, the, two had been on one side, two on there. And they, the four of them spread out at each corner of the table. So imagine a large dinner table. And they said, watch this. And they stood by the table and they put their fingers on the table and one of them prayed this prayer and they weighed there and the, the table just lifted up like this, like up to chest high. And she's going. And then they just went like this and they just had their fingers on it so that no one's sitting there. There's no, and she went. And they put it down and, and she went, oh my gosh, she just walked into the kitchen and the, the daughter walks in and says, wasn't that the craziest thing you've ever seen? And she said, I don't know what to think about that. You know, tell me, what, what, what is, where did you learn this? And she said, well, we were at this dinner party, and we pray this prayer. And uh, you pray this prayer to this uh, person. This, there's a spirit that will help you to lift this table. It will give you power. And so... Immediately, this lady, who's, who's a little older, really, really a person of deep faith, just goes, I don't, I don't buy this. I, don't, I think there's something wrong with this. And she goes, oh, you're just so, you know, stuck in your church ways. Now, this lady is saying this, this young woman, she's a believer. She goes to an evangelical church like us here in Dublin, a bigger church, and all the people there were all believers, and she said, uh, well, and this lady had this presence of mind. She said, well, let's do this. They're in the kitchen by themselves. I think this is something that you shouldn't be involved with. And so what I'm, I'm going to challenge you. You've, you've done this. They did it twice, okay? She came out. She said, I'm going to pray right now in Jesus' name that any, if there's any dark, demonic power behind this, that you wouldn't be able to do this again. And she goes, the, the young lady goes, ooh, a contest, okay. She was excited about it. it was like, you know, this is like a game. And so they walk out there, and she said, well, let's, everyone sit down. Let's do it again, you know. Uh, and, and they sit there, and they, she prays the prayer, and nothing happens over and over and over and over. And all of them are going, why doesn't it work anymore? And she finally goes, you won't believe what happened. And, and she told them, you know, this whole story about what her friend had said to her in the kitchen. And, you know, what are we supposed to make today of alternative spiritualities and alternative religions like that, that sort of traffic in things like that? Um, you know, there's, there's tarot card readers and mediums, and um, there, there's just all kinds of alternative spiritualities out there, transcendental meditation, uh, I mean, everything you can think of from A to Z, from soup to nuts. And 
that, those folks thought this is just something benign and just sort of harmless, you know? Uh, like Reiki. I don't know if you guys ever know, know what Reiki is, but there's lots of uh, Eastern spiritualities and alternative spiritualities. They're just kind of becoming normal in, you know, in our culture today. Uh, and people, people go, I don't know if they're benign or if they're dangerous. I don't know what to think. So what I want to do is, because we're, you know, we're in this series, which we picked up from uh, the Lord's Prayer, who almost everybody knows the Lord's Prayer, whether they're church-going people or not. But one of the lines in the Lord's Prayer, if you re- recall, what, you know, our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Yeah, you finish this. Lead us not to temptation from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We know that prayer is a prayer that's a comprehensive prayer that covers every dimension of our lives. And so Jesus is telling us to take spiritual evil seriously. That it's not just, you know, uh, something that's from superstitious, non-scientific times. It, it's something, you know, that, that's meaningfully present and around us and a, more, probably more a part of our lives than we'd, we'd like to admit. And so we've, we've done two talks on it. Uh, one was we started off with the idea of deliver us from evil from the evil one. And then last week we talked about borrowing a, a line from uh, the book of Genesis, uh, there's a snake in your garden. And we talked about how spiritual, even, spiritual evil comes home into where, right where we live. So today we want to look at, uh, up on the sign here, road work and bo- uh, book burning. So there's a story in, in the book of Acts where uh, people were encountering, the book of Acts has a lot of this kind of stuff in it, but in Acts chapter 19, I want to read a story there, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible with you, if you could open it with it, open it to Acts 19 with me. We're going to read through this, and I'm just going to make some comments on it. We're going to close uh, with a little exercise at the end. So Acts 19, verse 1, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's, there's paperback Bibles under the chair seats in front of you, and they all look like my Bible, the one I use here. It's page 772, if you want to read along with me. So Paul write, or Luke writes, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul says, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and prophesied, and there were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them 
And he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, I'm going to stop right there. We're going to keep reading uh, just piece by piece a few more verses. So the, the, the church here in this city in Ephesus is, is in a, you know, what some people would call a revival. It's a spiritual awakening. Paul and a, and a small group of Christians came into the city. They found some disciples of John the Baptist. They explained the gospel to them. Now, this was like years and years and years and years and years after John the Baptist had died. And this is hundreds of miles away, which in, in the time where travel was on horseback and by foot, this is like thousands of miles away. They're still holding on to the teachings of John the Baptist, and they're waiting for what's next. And Paul comes and shares with them. And from those 12 men, it says in that whole, if you, if you go on a map and look where Asia Minor was, it's a huge parcel of property. And it says that the gospel had spread all over that just from those 12 people. So this was a significant thing going on. And Ephesus, which is where this happened, the city was like the epicenter of it. Ephesus was a really large uh, center that was one of the crossroads of trade routes, and, and it was a very influential place. And it was a very big, religiously pluralistic city, just like Columbus. And in, in the verses we read here, there were You've already seen three different, at least three different kinds of religious groups. You saw Jewish people and an, an offshoot or a sect of Judaism, which was the disciples of John the Baptist. Then uh, there was all the people in Ephesus who followed all kinds of different uh, pagan deities and religions and uh, groups that, that taught and philosophers, like the school of Tyrannus. Uh, so there was Greek philosophical thought going on there. So it was just a, the A to Z of all kinds of religious groups, just like we see today. And the thing was, the gospel is received just broadly there. You're seeing people from all these groups coming to faith. And let's see, did I touch? Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I stopped here. Verse 11 says, And God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Now, this is where some evangelists get the idea of taking handkerchiefs and sending them out to you, and, you know, handkerchiefs that have their handprint on it, and all kinds of things. They look at that and say, that's where, you know, it was good enough for Paul, we can do it. But I want you to understand, this is a little different, what was going on, what Paul was doing in this respect. I mentioned to you last week, we talked about Ephesus. Ephesus was considered by historians the center of occult pagan spirituality in the ancient world, at least in that whole part of the Roman Empire. And they were serious about their practice of uh, charms and potions and curses and uh, mediums and spirituality uh, that connected with you know, the other world and, and brought things into this world that really affected the world. That was, a, that was the heart of it. And so what they would do is they would spend huge sums of money to take normal objects like a handkerchief 
a piece of cloth and then do it with a special blessing. And then you would take it like, and if you wanted to be married, you would take it and surreptitiously slip this blessed cloth uh, near the person that you wanted to, you know, entice into a relationship. And lo and behold, surprisingly, things happen when people did that. But they paid huge sums of money for it. And many times these cloths were embroidered and very expensive cloth, the whole thing. So I want you to understand, the, at this point, Paul, it says a work cloth, Paul had a trade when he was church planting where he was a tent maker. Okay, It was kind of a middle class trade, believe it or not. Uh, it would be like an IT worker today. Tent makers made a good living. Uh, tents were very necessary in the ancient world. And so, Paul, but it's, it's hard work. And so it's like back when, in the day when I was a, I was a carpenter, we would take handkerchiefs because we worked down in Houston in the hot sun. You'd take handkerchiefs and you'd tie them around your head, right? And we used to call them do-rags, <laughs> right? So these sweaty rags that Paul had around his body were because Paul couldn't get to everybody who wanted prayer, they would take these sweaty do-rags and go and lay them on sick people and they would heal them. Now, can you see the contrast? It's, it's just the way the gospel works. The gospel is this foolish message that, uh, that, that if you put your faith in a crucified carpenter, it will, it will reconcile you to God. It will, your sins will be forgiven. There's even healing and love and you know, all kinds of things that come through the power of this crucified Messiah. Reject it, right? What sounds more like something from God that's connected to that faith? You know, healing do-rags uh, or really expensive amulets and charms and stuff. It's like this is God's, you know, sense of humor and saying, why are you guys chasing something like that? Right? So this is what's going on in the church. Now, let's go to verse 13. Okay, so... Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. Now, the word fear, there's not like, oh, fear. It's like, like awe, like a sense of awe, like, oh, my gosh, what does this mean? They were all seized with this fear. Sorry, I have to find my place. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. So, what happened was, as you can see, there was real evil that they were dealing with. It wasn't, it wasn't just mental illness. It was real evil. The power of this person who was, who was in the grip of this evil uh, didn't yield to them using the name of Jesus like it was a formula. And see, this is the difference between 
the essence of what the gospel teaches is and what religion teaches is, is that religion becomes very formulaic. You just plug in answers and you use it to your benefit. It's like technology, right? I mean, technology can be used for good or bad. But the thing about this spiritual technology of the gospel is it's biometric. Meaning, you can't use my phone. If I turn my phone off, you can't get into my phone unless you have my thumbprint. And now there's, there's technology where it reads your eye because everyone's eye is unique. It's very personal. And so what these people did is they didn't know Jesus. They'd never surrendered their lives to Jesus. And so they weren't authorized to speak in his name and do the things that he did. And so the demons in this man that controlled this man, when they tried to pose, nothing happened. In fact, it was worse than that. They, uh, they were you know, beaten up. And they went, went out humiliated. And it was another, in this chapter, there's all these subtle little digs that Luke has put in this chapter in the narrative. There's others I'm not mentioning that say Jesus is greater than all these things that people believe. Because the Jewish people in the synagogue had rejected Jesus. But then they try, they, but then they see, hey, Jesus, there's something about him. But we don't want to surrender our lives to him. We just want to use him for what we want. We want to hold on to our little thing, but we want to use Jesus too. Does that sound familiar? There's all kinds of ways that, that this narrative is, is trying to get at things in our lives. And depending on where you're coming from, you can see ways that, he's, that God's speaking to you through this. And he's trying to show you there's a better way. So Jesus is, Jesus is the completion of what John the Baptist believed. Jesus is the completion of what the Jews believed. He's the completion of what pagan spiritualities talk about and promise, but they can't deliver. And for sure, he's the answer to people who are under the power of evil the way this one man was. And we don't know what happened to him, but... There is power working through these ordinary Christians. And, I mean, imagine the church was made up in the beginning, those 12 men who'd kind of just been this little sect of holdouts for John the Baptist. I mean, can you imagine that? Uh, They were holding on to this philosophy where the, the, the guy had died decades before. And there wasn't anybody around that wanted to follow them. And, but they, they had something. They just didn't know what they had until they heard about Jesus. So Jesus' name was held in high honor. That's the, like, that's the turning point of this story. It, because the church there, well, let's look at next. So it's verse 18. It says... Uh, After the name of the Lord was held in high honor, many of those who believed, so followers of Jesus, now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. So these new followers of Jesus were hedging their bets because 
they had seen the power of these spiritualities. And there was real demons and real powers that threatened them because people around them were gaining advantage in, in their world by calling on these powers and using them. And they would curse people or they would pray for blessing. They were, they were accessing the, the spiritual world in a way that was scary and real and got everybody's attention. And so when Jesus came along, when the gospel came and, and brought the good news about Jesus, they saw a real power. But this is what we tend to do, is we give ourselves to Jesus, but we also try to hedge our bets and hold on to something else, right? Because a bird in the hand is worth two Jesuses in the bush, <laughs> right? I mean, I can, I, I've, got, I've got to trust my 401k. I've got to trust my education. I've got to trust, you know, whatever it is that we trust. And, and most of those things aren't bad in any way, but they are not God. And I've said this 10,000 times, so I won't, you know, bore a hole in your head with it. But they do what we do. They did what we do. And then when the name of Jesus showed its real glory, it got everyone's attention, and these believers thought, what are we doing holding on to these false gods? And these practices that are so corrupting and depraving and unpredictable. Because it's like a pagan spirituality that we're going to look at in just a second. It's like an M80, which is a firecracker, a super powerful firecracker, with the shortest fuse you can possibly imagine. And I remember when we were kids and we, were, we would throw firecrackers. We'd have bottle rocket wars. We'd, me and Rick, we'd, we'd get this far away and we'd have these big bottle rockets and we'd light them and we'd just stand here and shoot them at each other. You know, just boom, boom, you know, you try to dodge the flaming balls as they came at you, right? And, and we, we'd, we'd have firecracker wars and bottle rocket wars where you light a bottle rocket and you, you throw it and it goes, and then it takes off, you know, and hits your neighbor. Uh, hey, this is back when we didn't have cable TV. We had to do whatever we could do to find, uh, you know, a hobby. But the worst thing that could happen was you'd, you'd buy these long uh, rolls of firecrackers, and they'd have, and they're all woven together. And you take them apart, and you'd light them and throw them. Do they still have firecrackers? I know everything's banned now, but they figured, okay, they still have them. All right. But sometimes those, the fuses would, uh, you know, they, they weren't like super consistent. And you'd light it. And I remember lighting is a long fuse and the, the little fire went down the side of it. It's like it didn't go evenly all the way down it. It's like it, it jumped and went down the side. And I, I lit it and I go like this and boom, it just goes off in my hand. Right? And that happened you know, 400,000 times, I'm, I'm, I, I can't believe I can type still. <laughs> and demonic activity, when you get involved in demonic activity, it's like that, but it's worse. It's totally unpredictable. You think you can just control whatever it is that you've gotten into, but you have no idea that you're opening yourself up. You're, you're opening doors in your life to 
forces that will hurt you, just to put it simply. And so this was going on in the church. And I think they were, they were connecting the dots and going, what are we doing? When the name of Jesus was, was demonstrated in this very unusual manner where someone tries to use the name of Jesus who doesn't want to be a follower of Jesus, and they get it kind of backfires on them, and everybody hears about it. The people in the church have the gospel preached to them. Isn't that interesting? The gospel gets preached back to the church, which is supposed to preach it to people, and that happens all the time. If, if, if we don't do it the right way, God says, you know, uh, like when the people didn't like it that all the people were celebrating Jesus and shouting his hosannas as he came in the triumphal entry. And the religious leaders said, tell your children, you know, the, tell these children to stop yelling. He says, if, if they stop yelling, the stones are going to cry out. And the, the, God's going to communicate the truth to us and get it to us, even if, if we don't want to hear it. And so it woke them up, and it reminded them of things, like in the Old Testament, I'm just going to give you a couple of verses. This, being involved with other spiritualities and, and other gods is something that's it's not new. This has been a problem that, that people have faced, pe- God's people, back to the time of, of Israel. Do you know the Ten Commandments, what the first commandment says? Don't have any other gods. No. It says... Someone, someone, try, just take a shot at it. Don't have any other gods before me. Or, 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 in Deuteronomy, it says it a little differently. It says, don't have any other gods besides me. So either way, before him or besides him, God's, God the Father is supposed to have this unique place of loyalty. I mean, a unique place of, of authority in our lives. And our loyalty to him is a, supposed to be above everything else. Every other good thing is supposed to be submitted to our loyalty to him. And he goes on and says in this passage, let me read it to you. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So he's reminding them, I'm the one that loved you when you nobody cared about you. Sound like the gospel? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am jealous, and I punish the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, but show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. And what he's saying there is that there's consequences. Your actions impact generations after you, good and bad. It's interesting that he said the, the bad actions go so far, but he, he exceeded it and said the, the good actions that you commit get passed on blessings even to a thousand generations. So he's saying our lives are impactful one way or another. But what he's saying is when we get involved with other gods, alternative gods, gods that are substitutes for him and what he promises to be in our lives, there's an impact. Not only just on us, but on many generations after us. And then, like in the New Testament, here's a passage in that, that most believers who've been around the block a few times have heard this 
where Paul's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, uh, live by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit, God's Spirit. And God's Spirit desires what's contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. Did you notice in there idolatry and witchcraft? Alternate spiritualities that traffic in engaging in you know, a, a whole other dimension of the world that exists, or it's supposed to be out of bounds. And when we do that, that's a part of us trying to substitute for God and get what we want, something supernatural and powerful without having to yield our lives to Him. You see that? Because people who use alternative spiritualities are trying to get knowledge, oftentimes knowledge and power or other benefits without having to surrender anything in return, except maybe some money, some time, you know, invest in learning some things. And they don't, we don't realize when we do that what we're, what we're tapping into. And in 1 Corinthians 10, I won't read it to you, but Paul is talking to the early church, and he's saying to them, listen, there's idols out there, and those idols are not just fake stone, but fake like stone and wood and other materials. When pagans sacrifice to those idols, don't become part of it. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Don't go into idol temples. He says those idols that they're worshiping are not wood and stone and whatever. They're demons. And I know that stretches us to think that demons work through inanimate objects like that. Yes. Demons will do whatever they can to gain your loyalty and to be able to influence you. And it's like a little wedge that gets put in your heart between you and the Lord. And it slowly, as it's driven in, it pushes you further and further away from loyalty to Christ. And orients you more and more towards the powers behind the little statue. Now, I don't know too many people who have little statues in their homes. But those, those little statues today, like in the, in the ancient world, one of the primary idols of the ancient world was a god called Mammon. Anybody know what the corresponding modern, Jesus said the corresponding modern expression of the god of Mammon is? Money. Money can become an idol that the enemy uses. Not that... You know, when you pull, every time you hold a $5 bill in your hand, you're getting demonized. No, it's when you begin to say, like it says on the dollar bill and all the bills, and God we trust, you trust in God or you trust in this God? And what you trust in, you're going you're, you're gonna to obey it. Your, your life is going to be built around it. It's going to be ordered by it. And there's another one in the ancient world. Uh, there, were, there were idols. I just saw the other day at National Geographic, I think it was, had, had a, a picture in uh, 
where was it? It was up in the Scandinavian countries. And they discovered this stone idol and out in the forest. And it was, you know, as they dug around it, it was ancient. You know, it was hundreds and hundreds of years old. And they knew in this area was where certain kinds of worship had been, you know, kind of pagan worship in that area. And did you know what the, the, this, this little stone statue looked like? I mean, it was a spitting image. You'd see it. A penis. All over the ancient world, sexual organs were deities that were worshipped. You could go into temples and you could see phalluses. You could see uh, astroth poles, uh, many breasted, these poles with all these breasts on it. And it, there were fertility gods and goddesses, and they were worshiping them because, you know, they wanted to have children. They wanted, they wanted their uh, animals to reproduce, they wanted their fields to flourish. But part of the rights of those were all kinds of sexual depravity. And it promoted it as a way of life. It wasn't just to worship the deity. You went and did that. It, it gave you permission at home to, to just sort of have sexual free-for-all. And it became something when you bowed down to it. I mean, can you imagine that? People literally praying to, they would come and they would bring food and offerings of different kinds, and they lay it around the altars of a penis, an erect penis. You, you can actually say that word. It's not dirty. I know everybody is, well, I just don't hear it in church that often. But I'm not making this up. Go in any ancient sort, uh, historical source about pagan religions, and you will find that this was central to pagan spirituality. Money, sex. Still, we still we don't worship it the way we did, the way they did. But it, we still we worship it the way they did. It still does something inside us. It still shapes our lives and controls us. So, here's the thing. This is what Paul warns in First Corinthians ten. He says, "Listen." If you give yourself to those gods, they, you will begin to open doors in your life and they will begin to go in and they will begin to turn your life upside down. And the Bible is full. This is a big theme in the Bible, like I said a couple of weeks ago when we started this. It's a huge theme in the Bible that Satan and all these spirits... When you open the door to them, and, and by doing what God says you shouldn't do, you open your money up to Him. You open your health up to Him. You open relationships up to them. You open your emotional life up to them. You open everything you have up to these spirits who, Jesus said, only come to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's not superstition. I'm just telling you from 40 years of experience of pastoring people and dealing with real spiritual evil. When people deal with the spiritual evil, things change in their lives. It's part of the problems that we struggle with. It's rarely the problem, but it's rarely ever not a contributing problem. Do you understand the difference? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not advocating to you that you think the devil made me do everything. But you are silly if you 
think the devil isn't trying to get you to do some things. And maybe more than you think. The Bible has a sophisticated taxonomy about evil. And I want to encourage you to question that thing in your head that wants to dismiss this and go, this is just silly. There are serious scientists who've researched this. I mean, secular scientists and Christian scientists who are dealing with abnormal psychology and health issues that they can't explain. There is no reason for those things to be going on in someone's life. And some scientists are willing to kind of follow the evidence to wherever it might go. And they've been willing to see how the name of Jesus can impact problems that people have that nobody else has an answer for. And it's not uncommon at all when people begin to open their eyes to see what Jesus might be trying to show them about believers, because this, this is about believers who are coming to confess their evil practices, including the fact that they were practicing occult things as well as following Jesus, which is super common in every church. I mean, I've only, I've only pastored this church, but over time, you know, it's always a new church about every five or ten years. Uh, if you get old enough, it works that way. And all of people, as you get to know their stories, it's just super common for people to read horoscopes, to go to mediums. Uh, This weekend, we were at a conference where, ironically, the the speaker was talking about some of this, and he, he was talking about all these different people, example after example after example of people that he knows in Southern California and the business world and executive, because he used to be an executive, a a high executive in a telecommunications company, and now he's he's been a pastor in the vineyard for years, but he's like an itinerant speaker now. But he just described the crazy things that he's seen, because he used to be, like I said, a, a really highly placed business executive, and he still moves in those uh, those circles, and he has friends in him, and he just says, I can't believe how naive people are when they go to mediums. What do they think they're learning, and what do they think they're getting themselves into? What do they think they're opening themselves up to? Some of these are just highly placed, well-educated, very experienced people in the sense of life, and they have terrible problems that come after those experiences. That, that they don't connect at all. Because they just see it as kind of innocent, benign, and it's not. So, and here's what happens. When you're a believer, and you're not a believer, there's two ways that the way that God relates to us overlaps. Is that the whole idea of having a relationship with God through Jesus is, it's not coercive. He doesn't force anyone into a relationship with him. He invites. He reveals himself and says, I, I want to show you enough about me that you can trust me with everything and follow me wholeheartedly. But I'm not going to force you. And so everything works off of that idea. So when you say, like those believers said, and they saw this object lesson of this guy, get these seven these the seven sons of a high priest who were exorcists got their butts kicked. And it was a public spectacle. 
the believers went, oh my, how are we suffering when we're fooling and dabbling with that? They were trying to get the evil out. We are inviting the evil in. What on earth are we gotten ourselves into? And they quickly repented. They confessed and repented. That's what you have to do. God says, if you want those forces to be part of your life, I will let that happen. And I'll just back, I'll take a step back and say, if you want to trust them, and you can find example after example in the Old Testament where God said to, the, to Israel, if you want to worship those gods, call on them when you're in trouble and see what you get. See if they have what they promise that they have or you think they have. And over and over and over, Israel would get into the same situation that these Ephesians got into, these believers, and they would realize we've gotten in way over our heads and this is not a good deal. And God says, my wrath is revealed in the world to unbelievers by giving them what they want. But God does that with us as believers too. He doesn't abandon us. But what he says is, I'm going to discipline you by giving you what you want. And then you begin to experience the pain that comes from that. And you go, okay, that's it. I need to repent. And, and see, in the next passage it says that, I, I read it already, that, that they took radical measures. They came and gathered all their paraphernalia, books, amulets, cloths, idols, everything, and they burned all of it. Now, we kind of get, in modern society, book burning, you kind of, you know, raise your eyebrow, what? What kind of, you know, anti-intellectual, anti-freedom kind of a thing you have going here? But you understand, they burned those books as a demonstration that they were turning their backs on not just that way of life, but the spirits that were above them. Because these things, these cloths, the Ephesian, they called them, scholars call them the Ephesian letters. Those things weren't just the objects. There was, they were connected to dark powers. And when they burned them, it, they were saying, we're done with you, but they're also saying this. And we are insulting you by burning what represents you. It's like putting it on the ground and just, like today, stomping on it. They were, they were making a statement. We're not afraid of you anymore, and, and you, are, you deserve to be burned. Everything, that the only way to purify you, and I mean purify the world of the influence that you bring, is by burning it, Right? And so it, 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 they weren't anti-intellectual. They weren't narrow-minded. They were sober-minded. They saw this as something really dangerous, and we need to make a radical statement. And so they openly confessed, we've done these things. Then they burned them. And they, it says, look what the next verse says. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. This is like years and years and years of of uh, 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 wages for these people. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. That the power of the Spirit manifested 
even more radically in the church and through the church and in that region as a result of them breaking the compromises that they'd made with these powers. Now, I told you when we got into this a couple of weeks ago that we were going on a journey of the Lord's choosing and that he was going to teach us new things. This may be new territory for some of us. This may be really new territory. This may be, and this is not like Disneyland territory, right? This is like, this is kind of freaking me out, not just a little bit territory. But this is really ground that God wants us to become familiar with. And every Christian, when it's appropriate, needs to be a book burner. And you may not be comfortable with that idea. And I'm not advocating literal book burning. I'm, I'm talking about it as a metaphor for radical repentance. Not your ordinary, gosh, God, I, I really want to change. I don't want to, you know, talk like this. I don't want to, you know, act this way and that way. This is something that is big and significant that we really need to take seriously. Because this is the only, as far as I know, it's the only case of book burning in the Bible. And if you look at what it's associated with, you can, you can understand it. So, we learned last week, and this is, like, this is kind of the basics of dealing with spiritual evil. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. So what we want to do right now is close the service by doing that. I want to, uh, hey, uh, Dave, there's some little pieces of paper that are sitting back there somewhere, I thought. A little stack of them. Oh, you organize them back in the office. Okay, so when Rick get back, gets back in with a little piece of paper, we're going to just distribute them. And what I want you to do is, I want you to ask yourself, and you may not, why I'm saying that we're going to go on this journey is, I think this is going to be something, once you get the principle you're going to begin to police your own life. And you're going to begin to be able to, to talk with each other and police in, in a healthy way with permission each other's lives. Because things like seances, you know, table levitating, mediums, channels, Reiki, uh, Mormonism, Hinduism. I mean, there's, there's alternative spiritualities and, and there's all, false religions. And behind all of them are something that's dark, something that God wants us to get into and steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, th that God doesn't want us to get into because when we get into it, we end up experiencing our lives just being undermined in every sense of the word. And in ways that just totally surprise us and, and don't seem to give way. And I want to tell you, Paul said, when we deal with, with, the spiritual, with spiritual evil, it's like a wrestling match. In Ephesians 6, he says, when, when, we, when we, sometimes we think in natural situations that we're in some kind of an awkward natural situation, Paul says that's not all that's going on. It is true that maybe there's circumstances and relationships and work environments and family dynamics that, that are difficult. But what he says is, when the enemy is involved with them, we, we will have to wrestle with them and learn how to deal with spiritual evil. And submit to God, resist the devil, and, and he will flee. 
the inference of that, those last two steps were, when you resist the devil, he doesn't instantly flee. And the resistance sometimes can, it can be required to go on for a while. But he will flee. If you, and, but it starts by submitting to God. You understand? And this is not a crusade to say, hey, man, let's stamp out all the Ouija board, you know, companies. That's what the church is trying to do or not. But, what? You went, psst. Yeah, so, thank you. So what I want you to do on that piece of paper is write down anything you think that you've gotten involved in that's one of these alternative spiritualities. We're just starting with us right now. We'll, we will have to look at family histories and things at some point. That's why this journey is going to go on. But I want to introduce you to this today. And I think we're going to experience some things here to, this morning that start taking us down the road to see how important this is. So write on the piece of paper. Like say when you were a kid. Like my mom introduced me to a Ouija board when I was about 11. Because she was at some party and they, had, they brought it home and it was crazy. I had to repent of that. And I wasn't a believer. My, my parents weren't, you know, believers. It just seemed like an interesting game, like table lifting, right? Table levitating, uh, horoscopes, tarot cards. There's, there's a lot of run-of-the-mill and a, a lot of exotic and, and weird and, you know, hardly ever kinds of alternative spiritualities. Because some of you don't know about therapeutic touch or Reiki. But if you work in the, the medical world, it's a huge thing. There's, there's training at all of our major hospitals here on how to use therapeutic touch. And that was it good to touch people? Yeah, but when they're teaching you to find energy patterns and manipulate them, they're, they're teaching you to touch something that you shouldn't touch. And like I said a week or so ago, all power is personal. You can't touch power. It's not like the force where I just learned, trust the force, Luke. You know, I wield my my. Uh, what are those things they wield? My lightsabers, thank you. It's not impersonal. All power is personal. All power is connected to a personality. I don't mean the power that in the socket is personal. It's not. That's the natural world. But when we're, when we're tapping into real power, we're tapping into spiritual power. It, it, there's something behind it. And there's only two sides to it. And if you work on the dark side, this is what... It, it gets you what I've described today. So write that down. What we're going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer, all of us together. And we're going to pray like this every so often because I think it's something we have to become acquainted with. After you pray, we were talking about, should we, should we burn these things in here? We were thinking, well, I think we have smoke alarms. I think that would probably not end well, right? Uh, somebody would get set on fire. You know, the building would burn down. It would just, you know, our insurance company would drop us. Vineyard would be over. So what we're going to do is we've got a shredder up here. This is the modern world. We don't burn books. We're not going to get called book-burning maniacs. Nobody, everybody's got a shredder in their office. So now we're culturally relevant, right? But what you're going to do is, after we pray, is you're going to come up here, put these at the foot of the cross, Name, you're, you're naming what you've done. And after this prayer, you're repenting. You put it in here and shred it. We're going to have people up here 
uh, uh, prayer team people, small group leaders. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray for you and just pronounce forgiveness and, and absolution over you. And, and that God would cleanse you. He would start a cleansing process. It's not going to all happen today. Because we're going to have to peel layers back on this. This is a journey we're going to go on. And that we've already started. But we want to just pray for you. Just a short prayer. And then we want you to take the Lord's Supper. Because we're repenting of the counterfeit. And we want the real. You understand? We want what's real. It's there for us. But we have to let go. Something's in our hand. If we don't let go of it, we will hold on to it. But when you let go, it's, all, it's not pleasant to let go and trust Jesus to be there for you. So we're going to pray for you, that he would empower you and cleanse you, and, and he would guide you on this little journey we're on. And then you go and you take the elements. You, you dip the bread in the cup, and you remember the covenant he made with you that he's going to be there with you, and he's forgiven you, and he's your provider, he's your protector, and he's the one that loves you, he's the one that calls you amazing, wonderful, irreplaceable, purposeful. He, all the things, all the longings of your heart that we talk about, Jesus provides all of those for you. And you're letting go of all the false ways you've tried to acquire it, and you're turning to him. So why don't you stand with me? I want you to pray this out loud, if you wouldn't mind. And just hold, if you've, if you've got that piece of paper in your hand. And this may not connect with everybody here. But just be open over time, if this, this, see if this connects with you. Yeah, hold it in your hand, in both your hands. Close your eyes and just repeat after me. And again, you don't have to pray if you don't want to. Uh, this might not be relevant to everybody here. Lord Jesus, I confess that I have sought supernatural knowledge and power apart from you. I've disobeyed your word. Help me renounce all these things and cleanse me in my body, soul, and spirit. I renounce my involvement in all false religions. Like Hinduism, Mormonism, Buddhism, and Islam. And all false spiritualities. Like sorcery, Freemasonry witchcraft, ESP, Reiki, transcendental meditation, divination and fortune telling, tarot reading and astrology, and any other type of occult involvement in the past or the present. I turn from and renounce all occultic practices and influences that have come into my life through my ancestors' actions. And I renounce all curiosity about the future or the past 
and about anything which is outside your will. Cleanse me now in the name and blood of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I just want to welcome you, you know, as you feel prompted uh, to take this piece of paper, put it through the shredder. And then, if you know, right now, if the like folks who are prayer team, home group leaders, you know, staff, I know Jane May, you aren't here, but you guys could just come up front. And then as you go there, just find someone who's lined up here. And we're going to just pray a brief prayer over you. And then go to the Lord's table and then uh, you're dismissed. And if you want prayer for anything else when you come up, We'll pray for you about that too.